0: Logo Centrifugal Podcast. I'm Chance Lunsford. I'm also Logo Centrifugal. You might also be Logo Centrifugal. While you ponder this cosmic question, let me introduce today's special guest. I have with me, my pal, the one and only the Kunal.mc. And this is a dude who I encountered on Twitter. We made a connection. We've done a little bit of uh, work together trying to figure out a path for Kunal to walk that will best allow him to be the person that he envisions he could be. And uh, I got to know Kunal over the course of a couple months, and he's a great dude, just smart dude, and he's doing some things that are very interesting and took a very courageous leap. And uh, I'm very glad to have him here to share some of that journey with you and Kunal. With that very sparse introduction, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. And why don't you fill the people in a little bit about who you are and what you do beyond what I've offered up.
1: All right, thank you for having me. A chance, glad to be here. So, my name is Kural. I'm a 23, uh, actually, a 24 year old guy based out of Mumbai, India. Uh, uh, I graduated with a degree in economics a couple of years back. And since then, uh, then, I went on to work in the finance industry for a couple of years. And life's been pretty good. A little too good for my own good, maybe. Uh, I got a quick promotion, everything was pretty good, but that was the problem. I was too comfortable, I did not know what I wanted in my life. Uh, so, a few months back, I quit my job to get out of my comfort zone and go all in. Uh, for now, I'm trying to develop a bunch of skills that will serve me in the future and in the present. Helping make me some money and then helping me set up my own business one day in the future. Um, that's pretty much it.
0: Cool. And you know, as you know, and I know, I already know that stuff about you. Um, one thing I don't know a whole lot about you is, um, like more of your, your family situation. And I wonder, you know, you're a pretty, pretty smart guy. Um, well-educated guy and um so i'm just kind of curious what are your parents like what's what's the home that you came from that sort of shaped you into being the clever lad that you are
1: so when i was younger like when i was maybe five or six we used to have a joint family like there was like 14 of us who used to basically live together uh over time uh all of them separated and eventually, our grandparents used to live with us. My parents and I have an elder sister. Um, so in India, you have this. It, it's getting rare now, but in India you have this thing of large families living together, which in itself is a very different experience. You have a lot of cousins. Uh, you you don't get. As much attention as you would if you're living in a small family uh, you have a lot of fights since there are a lot of since there are a lot of kids and you learn a lot from different people you grow up with a bunch of different people uh, I was pretty cool and then eventually uh, we moved to a different house and we have a smaller family, I'm very close with my grandparents as well. They live with us Um my mom and dad have been generally very supportive all through my life. They have let me, made my own decisions and like trusted me to do what was right. Um, and that's helped me a lot. And like, that's pushed, they pushed me to experiment a lot. And, um, so, and, Around the age of seventeen or eighteen, I moved out for uh, like moved out to a different state entirely for my studies and uh, so there's this thing like where like usually Asian parents uh, support you through your college. So again, like I had it very comfortable. Uh, so I don't really come from a very well-off family, but like I really never had to struggle for anything as such, like, we got everything we ever wanted. And my dad had to like struggle a lot in his childhood, like, because he had a rough childhood and like he spent a lot of time setting up the family business and like sacrifice the studies and stuff like that. Uh, So I think that had a major impression on me while growing up. And I always had some entrepreneurial tendencies and my dad always pushed me to like, seek those out. And even then, then even when I wanted to quit my job, like it was totally okay, like totally okay with it. And and, like did not even question my decision even once. And like, so that thing has always helped me a lot, man. I have an elder sister who herself, went out on her own, like she, she runs her own thing. Like she supports, uh, she handles marketing for a couple of big restaurants in my hometown, uh, which is not really a big city. Uh, So yeah, that also makes a difference. Uh, I come from a relatively smaller city in India. Hmm.
0: So as I was listening to you talk there, I was thinking to myself, you know, that doesn't really sound any different than sort of the, the like the average, like Western yeah. or anything like that. But, you know, there are some conditions present in India that are not present, say, like where I live in, in Utah. Um, you know, you have sort of like the, the massive slums and stuff like that. And mm. and then you also have, I mean, there's plenty of rich people in the United States and in Utah, even we got places where there's people who gather who, I mean, you couldn't buy a house for less than several million dollars, but you know, there's, there's a vast, there's a vast disparity in the wealth in India. And I, and I wonder too, like, and we talked about this a little bit, but number one, I wonder how does your sort of your parents approach to treating you with respect and just sort of letting you do your thing and make your decisions. How does that compare with maybe like the average Indian family life? And then number two is, um, you know, when you when you sort of look at the world around you and you see the you see the wide gap between, say, the the haves and the have nots. I just wonder um, how that affects the way that you look at the world um, and how you sort of what what kind of motivating factors are to be found on on either side of the spectrum of that.
1: Uh, to answer your first question I would say uh, my parents are very different from the average parents in India uh, because the average parents have been like brought up in a society where security financial security and stuff like that is given very high importance and your your failure is looked down upon and people rarely take risks, and uh, most of the parents push their kids towards the safer options. That's why you'd see like almost ninety percent of uh, students uh, go for engineering. That's that's the thing here in India, engineering. Um, no one knows what they actually want to do, but it became it became a fad. Like people then get to the engineering college, like complete their degree, get a job and then start to figure out what they actually want to do. Uh, because that's that's the way the society is actually programmed here. Like People are, people always go for a safer option and that's what the parents push for as well. And, and it's very complicated because it's a country of one billion plus people and there are limited good colleges and so we actually have entrance exams uh, where millions of people sit for those exams and only a handful are able to get to the good colleges. So it's very competitive in that sense. and uh, uh, Parents push their kids too hard to like do well in those exams so that they can secure a good future. I never really had that a strong pressure from my parents. And a lot of, a lot of parents also send their kids off to different cities where like you have coaching centers like specifically specifically focusing on these entrance exams, mm. and you have kids like studying day and night to crack those exams, and it's it's a sad scene if you ask me. And like it's something that you don't realize. Even the coaching centers are trying to leech off the parents because they are cashing on their parents' insecurity, and so you have this whole business that's flourishing because of it Um, and I was in a similar board for a couple of years and I did not study that hard for those entrance exams still managed to get a decent college and um, then I actually went like dropped my engineering degree to like focus just on economics which was my original degree and even that was a decision my parents are very supportive of it because like it's, it's well, once I dropped my engineering degree, like there was no guarantee of me getting a good job. Like it was up in there, but my parents were okay with it. So, uh, and like that helped, helped me a lot because like it allowed me to finish my college one year earlier than others and like uh, study an unconventional subject. Like you, you rarely see people in India studying something like economics or any science based uh, subject uh, for their undergraduate degree. It's almost always engineering. Mm. Um, So since I had no pressure from my parents, unlike some of my other friends, I could literally do whatever I wanted to. And thankfully, like it all turned out well. And to answer your second question, uh yeah you definitely see a lot of income disparity like you have a lot of slums you have a lot of homeless people um not as much in small cities but when i came to mumbai the disparity gets more starker the contrast gets more starker like on one hand you have the high skyscrapers and on just right next to them you have acres of slums uh so yeah Um, and Due to which, like, uh, one other thing that happens because of this, the labor is actually very cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you act, you we have a domestic help for everything. So, uh, uh, in a way, I never really learned the value of hard work, of manual labor, because even if we are not. I'm not from a very well-off family. We always had a domestic help for almost everything, like to wash the dishes, like to do the laundry, and to clean up. And same when I moved to Mumbai, like we could easily hire a cook to to cook our dinner, lunch, breakfast. And in a way, uh, it's a very comfortable lifestyle, even if the even if the standard of living are not as high. Uh, but if you are well off, it's a very comfortable life. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (coughs) Excuse me. So I have a, I have a question for you and it's this, I used to be in commission only phone sales Hmm. Um, and that's a very competitive industry and and they encourage you to be kind of an asshole to be honest. Um, you know, just push and push and push, push until they hang up on you. Who cares? You know, if you, if you didn't push until you, they hung up on you, then you didn't push hard enough. They either bought from you or they hung up on you kind of a thing. And one of the things they told us, though, um, is if you ever talk to somebody with a name you can't pronounce or that has an Indian accent, just just hang up because they're never going to buy anything from you. And and I know from – and that's kind of a shitty thing to say, but it is what it is. Yeah. And, yeah. and I know from talking with you um, and kind of talking about your business trajectory that um, you find it significantly more difficult to find well-paying clients in India versus trying to recruit them from elsewhere around the world, and I wonder, um, you know, because you would think you would think with a, a billion-plus people in a relatively close proximity, comparatively, um, and so many people being on the lower strata and then and so many people in every strata of the economic the socioeconomic spectrum that there would be a way for you to within india to to develop all all kinds of systems to to just be raking in the tone to be helping people out and i i guess i wonder if that happens a lot or not and and like if if so or even if not why Why don't we see more of that what are some of the obstacles to either the visibility on something like that or to it happening in the first place
1: uh so what i'd say is the new generation that's coming up uh it's more open to ideas uh they have like exposure to the they have exposure to different ideas through internet they have watched a bunch of hollywood movies they have Watch TV shows. They have, they use services which are not based out of India, and you have a lot of smart people um, doing their own thing, like starting up a lot of successful startups. So the new generation is more receptive to the ideas, uh, but if you go back a generation, uh, that generation is naturally a bit more skeptical. Uh, they they are stuck in the old ways. They want to do it in the traditional way. Uh, so we have a lot of family businesses here. Um, they can't, it's how you say like, don't fix something that's not broken. That's a common philosophy here. And people are not, people don't change very easily, especially the older generation. And one other reason, why I personally find it difficult to like uh find clients in this uh, so the majority of India can't speak English or read english uh and even though my native language is well so my native language is total different so I actually speak three languages and I speak three different languages with each of my family member it just happened out of chance uh so Yeah. So, what I can write well in English, but I can't really write well in my native languages, and so that's personally one reason for me that I focus on countries where the audience speaks English because that's my strength. Because I never really had to like write in my native languages. Uh, My school was an English medium school, and even in my university, the medium of lectures was English uh, because you have people from all over India uh, in that university and not everyone speaks a common language. Uh, it's a big country with everyone speaking different language, different regional languages. So the common language in most of the educational institutes, uh, institutes is English. Uh, so that's something like we pick up very, like some something we pick up. From my childhood. And um, uh, well, the thing is, my conversational English slightly lags behind my written English since I did not really have to converse a lot in English. It was mostly consumption. Like, uh, I watched a lot of Hollywood movies, watched a lot of TV shows, and read a bunch of books. And uh, so th- that that's where most of us picked the English from. And, and then i spent a lot of time engaging in political debates tech debates on random internet forums and like uh the, that's a place where you can't make grammatical errors because your ego's at stake uh, <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so, so so like that helped me refine my writing skills a lot um so yeah coming back to the original point yeah that's one of the reasons why I focus on English-speaking audience, and other than that, I think like in the coming years, uh, as our generation and our future generation uh, picks up uh, businesses in India, uh, one other thing was the ease of doing business in India was not as good. It's still not very good; like it's nowhere close to the United States, but it's getting better. Like it's getting better. So you, you, in the future, you'll see more and more people trying to do something on their own. And these people who are trying to do something on their own, like trying to like break away from the conventional path, they'll be more receptive to ideas. And, and these people will like see value and recognize value when they see it. Hmm.
0: That's very interesting. And it seems to be the case worldwide that this younger generation is really keying in to the opportunities that the digital domain and the vast mm. world provides and i 'm sort of on the i'm like a I'm sort of in between the older generation and the newer generation there, and so you know I get to bridge the gap between the two often and that 's an interesting place to be but I wonder you know often often the stubbornness of a of an older society has a lot to do with tradition and religion um, and i I sort of wonder. How, how much of the difficulty um, is based on maybe like the, the class system that was was present for so long and still is in a lot of ways, even though officially it's not I mean, it yeah. just sort of. Is. And, and, and then number two, I'm, I'm sort of curious, and this kind of leads me into a thing. Maybe you want to talk about it. Maybe you don't. I don't know. We can get there. We've talked about it before, but, but I, I wonder sort of your own maybe like religious or like, spiritual connection with, with whatever that is and, and how you look at those things and, and how sort of the influence and momentum of the society led you to maybe being in the place where you have these things to look at and decide upon?
1: Uh, so I personally was like never exposed to these ideas when I was young. Uh, as I got older and read more about it, I could then observe it and surroundings where it's something which is like uh more common in the rural areas and the backward areas uh but i'd say the older generation like once in a while you'll definitely see something like they'll definitely like say something or like act in a way and you'll observe that it stems from some of the old ideas that they are still clinging on to yeah, the caste the caste system definitely still exists in India. Like, uh, even though we'd like to pretend it does not, it definitely does. Uh, so, do and, we to be honest, so you uh-huh. know. yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, It's actually a, it's actually worse in the rural areas. But again, um, we're hoping that like as time passes and as Exposed to new ideas and like the newer generation, uh, who's not being fed these ideas right from when they were born, um, will be more receptive to people of all castes and uh, class, eventually. Uh, but like for us people, like uh, when like when I'm interacting with friends and stuff like that, I, I don't know what caste they come from or what class they belong to, and um, and in, in that sense, um, my university was a great experience for me because I got to meet people from very, very different backgrounds, like people from like South India, North India, East India, West India, like you had people from all over India, different class, like different cultures, different languages, different way of living. And and we lived in hostels where like, um, we all lived together. like. And, and especially in the like first year, we did not have the opportunity to choose our uh, roommates or the people who live with, uh, around us. And so, I, yeah, I met a lot of different people from a different background, and like, and like that taught me a lot. And also, that was very different from my upbringing. Like, I was always exposed to certain kind of people, mostly like people from mostly well-to-do families and like relatives and like friends at school, again, who were from well-to-do families. So uh, I never like really experienced cultural variety, which I did when I went on to university. And, and it, I learned to like make friends with different kind of people. And people who are different, people who speak a different language, um, people who are who have been like brought up in a certain kind of way. Yeah, that was an eye-opening experience for me. And I forgot what your second question was.
0: Yeah, that's all right. There's there's a here's a point of curiosity curiosity yeah. I have, and I'm not sure how even familiar you might be with this, but you, you might be. Um every once in a while I get off on a kick on linguistics and I, I like to sort of learn the genesis of languages and the genesis of words and things. And it turns out, um, that many thousands of years ago in the Indus Valley, uh, the people lived there and uh, mm-hmm. you, you might even, you, it's proposed that the Bhagavad Gita might even be sort of, um, from, from these people. Um, or like you know some of the teachings in there, so, sort of the same way that much of the Bible came from the Middle East, and it's a collection of different peoples. But then the the Jewish people became the sort of the the librarians of this information and the curators, yeah. and formed a cohesive thing. But from that Indus Valley, um, almost like something something like uh more than half of the world's languages respond from that original language, and they they call it Indo-European languages and and um there's even i mean there's traces of it all over the place not just in europe but uh, you know yeah. across Asia and, and into africa even and so um i'm sort of curious you know because and that ties into uh, like a spiritual aspect too you know i've read the bhagavad-gita it's a beautiful book it really is it's, it's wonderful and there's so much stuff in there and there's a lot just just like in the bible or in like any religious text it 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 contends with itself and it asks you to contend with it and to decide for yourself and there's some really neat stuff in there and countless people for countless generations from all over the world have come to India for um, that long tradition of spiritual practice and things and you know you talked about sort of how India is evolving, and the newer generation is adhering to a lot of the new ideas and a lot of the ideas from the Western world and from the world abroad and are letting go of a lot of the traditional ways and a lot of the things. And so I guess I'm sort of wondering, you know, given that in many ways, that's the seat of culture mm-hmm. yeah. for the for the whole world because language breeds culture, right? Yeah. And that so many, for so many thousands of years and from all over the world, people have come to India to partake of the, of the, sort of sacred history i wonder how much of that is being lost and if that's sort of a concern not just with you although with you but maybe in the nation at large sort of like are we are we losing touch with some of these foundational things and what is our national identity going to be if we're not you know adhering to these old things because like you talked about there's there's all these different sort of tribal elements that are remnants of you know stronger tribal divides and mm. it's it's that way all across europe and all across africa and the united states is a little bit different because we kind of literally came in and whitewashed everything and then the new tribes started coming in but we already had a set up system but still it's it's kind of dividing on tribal lines and everything so i guess i just wonder kind of what your take is on on the value of tradition versus the value of uh, you know the evolution of the culture and and what the conflicts there and then sort of how that's playing out in front of your eyes right now.
1: Um, so I would say I used to be, and maybe I'm, maybe I still am, uh, I'm very ignorant when it comes to something like this, because, um, right until about two years ago, I used to consider myself an atheist and because, and Ever since my childhood, like I've always tried to run away from religion. It's not something that I enjoyed. It's not something that appealed to my logical mind, and I also had a closed mind. And, like once I made up, once I made my mind up about something, I I stuck to it. Um, it changed after uh, some twenty years, but then. Now I'm trying to read, <laughs> I'm trying to read more and more about different philosophies. Like uh, I, I've never read the Bhagavad Gita. I want to do it one day. And, uh, and I, I see that same thing among my peers. Like no one's really religious <laughs> and people are moving away from religion because at the end of the day, it's the same culture that also Brought along the caste system, and and uh, it, it, if you like, dive, like we used to have a teacher in our school, like was obsessed about uh, the Indian mythology and and all the cool stuff in it, and he always used to tell us stories uh, instead of teaching us uh, about the Indian mythology, the wisdom in Indian texts, and. And some of it was like really incredible. And at that point, like I used to ignore it and like now after 10 years, like, uh, and I read something and like, I can like, at times like, I can connect it back to what he said or like, uh, uh, it's, it's something that like, I just ignored at that point. And a lot of people do because like, and the religious practices, the actual religious practice that people believe in and they will perform are, like, so far away from these things. Like, you have a bunch of different gods. Everyone believes in uh, certain different gods, like, and uh, people, like, don't really, like, Appreciate the wisdom in the Vedas and the Bhagavad Gita. I don't really like see anyone talking about it. A very few people do. Like, I never. So, I'm originally not the Hindu. I'm a. Uh, my family uh, believes in Jainism, and mm-hmm. uh, but we, are, we still like worship in the gods. Uh, but even still, like, uh, I I did. Observe like few people, like the teacher I mentioned in my school, and um, a couple of the other people, like who like that talked about the actual wisdom, uh, but most of the others did not. And the thing with it, there's no, I would say it's not a monolithic religion which like distracts people away from the actual wisdom. And the Vedas and the Bhagavad Gita, not something like it's not something that are taught in the school or um, we actually had a course on Bhagavad Gita in our university. And now I wish I would have taken it, I could have taken it. And so, but the thing is, like all these texts and all this wisdom is not mainstream. And um, practices and the beliefs that are mainstream do not appeal to the newer generation so they are naturally moving away from them like there's nothing in the current practices and beliefs that appeals to them and no one really like takes the time out to do a deep dive because no one's got the time Mm -hmm. and it's not uh, on the surface level it's not that interesting like you really need someone who's like gone through it to like point towards the good parts and like help you discover it see that's it's very interesting to me
0: because you know obviously the united states is a young country and it was started Mm. very much on religious basis i mean other stuff too but originally it's just like not religion man (laughs) we want to be uptight about our religion as possible and we're so uptight that it kicked us out of a country where we had the same religion because we were just so extreme about it and that's sort of the founding of the United States and there's no small wonder we have the weirdness about certain things that we do over here but but you know when I read the Bhagavad Gita and coming, coming from a, a monotheistic background what I found very fascinating is the gods the gods in that book sort of represent to me the embodiment of of indivisible forces you know you you have destruction you have creation yeah. you you know you have these you have these uh sort of embodiment of forces rather than say a monotheistic religion like christianity where you you have all those forces in place but it's because this dude made them hmm. we're at in in more of the eastern tradition whether it's in hinduism or whether it's in Buddhism you sort of just have forces, and it's more embodied, obviously, in Hinduism than Buddhism, but it's sort of the same idea that there's this balance and there's this harmony and rhythm. And I really like the idea that those forces are embodied because it helps you think about the way that those forces act upon yourself by a being that's something like yourself. And, and even though it is like you, it's also incomprehensible because of the magnitude, because it's a god, you know, and it's, it's sort of… Yeah of your manipulation even though it can manipulate you and that's pretty accurate sort of ontologically and i guess i just i find it very interesting to be frank because there's a lot of you know there's a lot of hippie dippy guru nonsense in the united yeah. states you know and uh, there's like white guys with long hair taking on hindu names and and calling themselves a guru and it's weird it's it's weird you know it's uh yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like the same thing as that Rachel Dolezal gal uh, claiming to be a black lady when she was, has zero black blood in her. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Could you, just, could you just get dreadlocks and call it a day? I mean, you know, it is what it is, but, yeah. um, and I don't know really where I'm going with that. It just, it's just interesting to me that because I can see that same process happening here in the United States, but much more rapidly, you know, there's thousands of years in India and then oh and here's here's a question I do have and I'm going to frame it in kind of a silly way so people can connect to it but it's a serious question I don't know if you've watched Indiana Jones at all um, but in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom it takes place in India and they have this uh, plane incident and they end up having to leave the plane and they land in the Himalayas and they have to ride this inflatable blimp down to this backwards rural city where everybody's village really and everybody's sort of starving and the village elder invites them into a hut and they feed them just like goo and insects and stuff and then they take them to this big like a monolithic stone and there's a hole cut in it and it's you know the shape and the guy says shankra stone shankra stone bring back this you bring back this shankra stone bring back this and he kind of points to a place and you want me to get the shankra stone and bring it back to you Bring back this, bring back this, and so he goes to this place and he finds this uh, this like recently repopulated temple and it was a place that was um, a temple devoted to Kali and as it was like a death cult and was, well nobody's been at the death cult temple for quite some time but rich people bought it and the and the and here's here's the crux of what I'm getting to never mind all that although that is the movie where uh, yeah. the guy. T- part out of the guy's chest okay okay sitting at a table and you know you have you have all these sort of like royals and politicians and businessmen and well-to-do people and they're talking about like indiana Jones says you know i heard that there there's been rumors that there's a, a resurgence of the cult of kali here and i'm just sort of wondering and you know they're sort of like don't be silly this that backwards cult has not existed for many years and we are here and we are advanced culture and we're letting go of the old ways and and all this stuff, and I, I guess that took place in the 80s, and it was supposed to be taking place significantly before that, like World War II era, and so I guess yeah. I just wonder how how long this sort of uh, modernization process has really been underway, maybe with, m- maybe with the British situation, or, or maybe before then, I guess I'm just wondering how long this modernization process has been going on, and, and if you're seeing it increase in speed right now, just like it seems... Or things seem to be everywhere, or if it's been sort of like a gradual process that's just sort of culminating now.
1: Uh, so I'd say like it started in 1991. Like that's what we are taught in the school textbooks. Like that's the year when we opened up our economy to foreign nations. Like a lot of uh, before that, we did not allow companies from uh, different nations like to come and do business in India with a majority stake. Uh, like that changed like when we faced the major economic crisis back in 1991 and we had to like uh allow the companies to do business so that we can have an influx of foreign capital uh so once that happened like like that's when globalization in india like started like we started seeing uh a lot of new companies new ideas and like and that's also the time around the time, like late 90s, when like uh, televisions got really popular in India. And I remember in my childhood, like we had one television, like between 14 people, and like there were certain programs, like which the whole family used to sit and watch. And um, uh, so, sometime in like 2000s, like televisions got more and more popular. Like there was a lot of advertisements. Like we were exposed to more new ideas, and people started watching Hollywood movies on the TV. And, uh, so that's, that's the nineties are when it all started. And, and then like we started, like, uh, I think when, when I was like 10 or 12, we did not have, uh, a fast internet connection. We had a dialogue connection. Like I, uh, like, I don't know if you ever like that made the screeching sound. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly, like exactly that. Uh, so
1: it, as my childhood, I also played a bunch of video games and like, that's also one one source of new ideas, new informations and stuff. And uh, right uh, when I was about to say, 13, 14, maybe in late 2000s, we started having broadband internet connection, like the speed shot up to uh, a whole 256 kbps. Uh, and then people could watch videos and like more and more uh, people could download stuff and right? people could like share it on their phones. Like people used to like uh, carry those thumb drives and like exchange movies and stuff like that. And, uh, and in the university, we had this peer-to-peer file-sharing system. So you have like 1,000 people, like, and everyone's sharing their own content on like one that peer-to-peer sharing system. And since it's a local connection, it's super fast. Uh, so you basically have access to like every kind of movie, every kind of TV show, every kind of documentary, uh, a lot of educational content, a lot of porn, like everything, like everything. Everything that's basically on the internet uh, was available one click away. Like you can download, uh, you could download it super fast speed. And so that's um, it's something that's very common across engineering institutes across India. And and I, I basically like uh, so. Our my college was rare in the sense that my university was rare in the sense that we did not have a compulsory attendance policy uh all other universities in india have a compulsory attendance policy like you need to at least have a certain level of attendance at 75 percent otherwise you will flung that particular course uh, we did not have that and so i took full advantage of that i i like i never used to go to any like classes or lectures during my four years and like consumed a lot of this content and like so did a lot of other people and again like was exposed to a lot of new ideas watched a lot of movies and like it was a and as like over the last few years uh, uh, we are having not even a few years last three four years we are having a totally new technological revolution since the the richest uh, industrialist in India uh, I think you might have heard about him Mukesh Uh so he started his own uh, internet company, and to grab the market share, he basically started giving it away for free. And so all it was like as good as free. So uh, all other network carrier had to do the same, and, and that was a major inflection point because uh, you have like almost everyone has a smartphone in the hand. And you have this guy giving away free internet to almost everyone. Um, almost unlimited, like it's basically throw away prices. Um, it's, and so when it started, like he was giving it away for like say um, 300 rupees for like six months. That's like $4 for six months, almost unlimited internet. Uh, it's, it's come down to like 350 for three months now, but it's still dirt cheap. And you have almost everyone like with YouTube on their app, like, uh, YouTube on the smartphone and watching a lot of videos, consuming a lot of different type of con- content, and like it, it's accelerated a lot over the last four or five years. Like you, you, you might have heard about like t D's overtaking um, PewDiePie as the most subscribed YouTube channel. That like that happened only because of this guy giving away free internet. You have almost everyone with the YouTube app and like it's free internet and uh, you see almost everyone like uh, I can't even remember what it used to be like five years back because you see almost everyone like uh, even the uh, people from poor section of society they all they all have a smartphone, they all have an internet connection and they are they all are glued to their um, smartphones watching different kinds of videos, uh, even my parents who like, really used to even my grandparents who rarely used to like use their phones except for calling, um, actively use WhatsApp, like share a lot of videos, like forward a lot of content, uh, fall prey to a lot of hoax. And (laughs) it's, it's like you, so you have a country of 1 billion plus people and the number of internet users like more than I think, they definitely more than doubled in the last couple of years. So, so earlier these ideas, this new ideas, the the entire concept of globalization and was restricted to the well to do people of society, like who had access to internet, who had access to like uh, televisions who could speak English because uh, most of the content on the internet was just English, but now there's a market for almost every language. And so this is the section that was never exposed to these, ideas. So they are, this is the first time they are starting to like, watch different kind of content, consume different kinds of ideas. And a lot of people and most of the YouTube channels, startups, like most of the people, successful people, what they do is like they adopt successful ideas from different countries and try to do it try to spin off something similar in in, India. You have, we have our own Uber, we have our own uh, food delivery app, and we have our own Amazon, stuff like that. And similarly, we have, you can see, like, similarly, like you can find a parallel for almost every YouTube channel, every famous YouTube channel in the US, you can find a parallel similar channel in India. So, this is a very new thing that's happening over the last few years in India.
0: Hmm. You know that that's very fascinating because I've had the internet since 94 and I was an early adopter here. Most people didn't have the internet until maybe like the year 2000 about or or somewhere just before then. And even if they had, it was, it was dialogue just like you talked about, you know? Yeah. Um, but then you know broadband started poking up but the timeline in the united states with the internet is is only maybe like five years earlier than in india or or basically than anywhere maybe 10 years or 15 years because some places are just sort of coming online to 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 high bandwidth internet broadband Mm. some places obviously not not yet at all but almost everywhere has cell phones even just like you know, you see pictures and it'll be just like some literally stick hut in Africa wearing a Nike shirt and they got a shitty smartphone. It's like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this. And it sort of saddens me in a certain regard because everybody's wearing Nike t-shirts and holding a smartphone and being exposed to the same culture and the same ideas and the same people. But at the same time, in the places where internet has sort of been around for a few more years you start to see these pockets pop up again where it's like okay you know we kind of oh look the internet we're all looking at the same cat video and then five years later it's like i'm never even going to talk to this other person yeah me either i'm going to reddit well (laughs) i'm going to npr.com well (laughs) i'm going to go to the new york times and it's like okay well i mean i guess i guess culture will have the opportunity to develop again but it sort of ties into what I was talking to you about earlier, you know, we're sort of seeing this like sweeping aside of much of the world's culture in favor of the culture that brought about the possibility for this internet thing to happen. And now that the world really is connected, you know, I mean, almost everywhere, almost everybody is connected to this weird internet thing and we're sharing ideas yeah. and everybody's sort of, and you know, because, because the Western world had the just sort of like early adopter jumpstart start. Everybody's sort of following along in our shoes, but that's not going to last forever because the gap is so small. Yeah. And because opportunities are sort of opening up. And I guess I wonder, man, what do you, and this is, you know, obviously this is, you can't know, but I guess I'm sort of wondering how much of this sort of globalized culture do you think will just be homogenized? and how much of these regional places and the fact that people still speak different English or languages, even though English seems to be becoming even more ubiquitous than it ever was. I guess I just wonder, do you think that culture will become very much homogenized and language will become very much homogenized? Do you think that it will sort of have the coming together and then the breaking apart again, and it'll pocket back out and it'll just evolve maybe differently than it has less nation borders and more sort of, philosophical or or, or ways of thinking about the world will be the borders rather than maybe just like a geographical boundary or sort of how you envision the the coming, maybe generation, the coming 20 years and how it's going to evolve.
1: Uh, I'll try to speak for my generation, like my generation, at least the people that I interact with uh, do not really have any cultural identity. Like, oh, yeah. they don't have an they don't have a cultural identity anymore like they do not identify with it like um it it like they are already losing that identity like the unique identity it, i'm not saying whether it's a good thing or a bad thing but it it's definitely happening already and so i'm not sure if like uh as it goes on, um, maybe, maybe the language barrier will, like, I'm not sure the language barrier will, like, stay for a long time, but uh, at least for the next 10, 15, 20 years, uh, the majority of population in India still can't speak or understand English. Uh, it will definitely change in the coming years, but uh, for now, the content that's not in English still has a different touch, it it has a local touch. And people try to add their personality to their content, their ideas, and like uh, try to give it a unique twist. But yeah, definitely in the coming years, my generation and the future generation becomes the mainstream generation. And like these people who have like, who have no interest in the religious practices, don't really identify with their cultural background. Uh, and almo- when almost everyone speaks English. And when you have culture on the internet, uh, that's uh, so intense. Like there's a lot of signaling involved and uh, you have people trying to keep up with one another. So in the next coming 15, 20, 25 years, i definitely say, like, we'll see more of a homogenized culture where, and people won't really have any unique identity. But at the same time, when that happens, uh, the, the people who will want, like, who will stand out are the ones who have a unique identity, uh, who have something unique to talk about. Um, and maybe... M- Maybe it will, it's just a cycle that will repeat again or maybe not. But uh, when when everyone's doing the same thing and identifying with the same thing, the people who stand out and identify with their original culture will definitely get more attention. Mm. That's what I think. That's what I have roughly in my mind. But it's not something that I've really thought about interesting
0: it sort of makes me sad in a certain regard you know there's a lot there's a lot being lost and, and maybe there are advantages to this modern way uh, you know i'm i'm only half convinced myself i mean i really like the opportunity to talk to you literally yeah. on the other side of the world and, and there's a lot of cool things but there's a lot being lost too and i you know one of the ramifications of this and i guess we'll find out in the coming decades um but maybe let's maybe let's say uh, cut back out of the broad cultural discussion discussion and bring it back to canal, you know, because you're growing up, We talked about maybe the culture that's sort of surrounding you, but now I guess I'm wondering, you know, we've talked a lot about the business end of you and that's, that's kind of why I, I saved it until after I could get to know a little bit more about the world around you and things. And so you have this, you have this venture that you jumped into. And for people who weren't paying attention, you you had a good job, at least as far as you had the corporate ladder you could climb, you were comfortable, you were making plenty of money, you um, were sort of living the Indian dream. And and then he said, you know what, I'm out of here. I I, I feel like I'm stifling my soul. I want to go out there and I want to do something that's interesting to me and that I don't feel like I'm going to spend the next 50 years just sort of squashing all my dreams and, aspirations because I have this comfortable job that's expected of me and so you did you just you're like I got I got some dough (laughs) I got I got a year's worth of money let's see what can happen and you jumped yeah and it was was not too long after that that uh, you know we became acquainted and, and did some work together and I'm just very curious you know like what what gave you the balls to do that I mean we've talked a lot about your your family life and your parents. And maybe that's, that's special. And we, you know, you even talked about how that's, that's not that common. Um, And then I also wonder, you know, you said, I can't really find that many English clients here. And so I'm taking it to the places um, abroad where there's a, there's a larger English audience and also where there's more money to, to be had because people aren't used to like being able to hire people on the super cheap. And I'm wondering, number one, sort of, you know, what were the factors that gave you the balls to just make a jump like that? Because it's a pretty terrifying move for a lot of people. And number two is, do you do you think, given all the stuff we've just been talking about and how the world seems to be sort of just bleeding right into India and, and sort of converting it in this modern way, if that that will change at some point, And then you'll be able to bring your skills and your talents that you've developed in very much the same way that you said, there's an analog for everything on YouTube or Uber or Amazon or whatever, that you're going to be one of these early adopters. That's going to be a front runner and a thought leader and a, and a practice leader in the art of copywriting and in the art of um, sort of business marketing and these kinds of things and, and how you look at that whole thing. So number one, I guess, you know, kind of what, what, we gave you the courage to make the jump? And then number two is, do you envision that after putting in the hard work and developing these skills that as um, India transitions into a more modern world that you will be able to then uh, have the advantage of international contacts and then the ability to develop income streams within, you know, more local systems?
1: So to answer your first question, uh, I actually felt stuck. Like I never experienced the fulfillment of deep work, i never experienced the feeling of growth and like everything came very easily to me and it was, everything was like served to me on a silver platter, like I never really had to work hard for anything, so I never really had any sense of accomplishment and that's something that I really craved and also like I just had no idea what I wanted to do in my life at one point and since I had no idea I was stuck in that job and it was a stress-free job that paid well and I was again very comfortable and so then I uh, stumbled upon this corner of Twitter like where I was exposed to a lot of different ideas and like And also back then, like, I was a skinny guy who weighed less than 100 pounds, like, and so I was, so I had serious self-esteem issues back then. And then I found this corner of Twitter, like, I started lifting, I started following a bunch of people, like, um, I was exposed to, like, so many new ideas. And, like, I found, like, I came across people, like, who were, like, went out on their own like who are 19 20 21 and like already making good income out of what they were doing and and then i realized that the barriers to entry were never this low uh, right. and especially in india like in india if you talk to someone about starting a business like it sounds like a big deal and um, but in today's age it's not really that bigger deal because like literally anyone can do it and you don't need a lot of money to start with you just need an internet connection and a laptop and and just a bit of dedication so and 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 everything and all these ideas like I I found like the fitness corner and I implemented those ideas and I saw a lot of change and it changed me as a person and then it pushed me to explore other ideas as well and implement them and then you had this corner of twitter that's like very focused on making money online and followed a bunch of people like subscribed to a bunch of email lists and like saw what was possible and like saw people like getting amazing results and it uh it definitely made me a a bit jealous because like there were kids who were my age who are accomplishing a lot more than i am and i had felt that like if i stayed in this job like i would never like come close to fulfilling my potential or reaching my potential so i was, I was scared of that because uh, i was like going nowhere at that point i had no direction and and so like and like I said, like everything came too easily to me, and I never really realized the value of hard work, and never really learned to put in the work on a consistent basis, like putting in the hours on a consistent basis, like sitting down and like doing a specific task for thirty minutes, sixty minutes, ninety minutes. Like uh, when I st- uh, so when I quit my job back in February, uh, they actually put me on a paid leave for two months, so. I got my salary for the month of March and April without going to the office. And I slacked off a lot. And uh, around late April, May, the reality started settling in. And I realized that I wasted entire two months away and I had nothing to show for it, like barely anything to show for it. And even if I like tried to sit down and focus on one thing, I could not. And so that's when I got in touch with you and your words helped me a lot. And I started meditating more regularly and I just like started taking it step by step. I'm still still fighting some of the old demons I had back then, but I'm in a much better position now compared to where I was when I quit my job. And I'm hoping I can accelerate my progress in the coming years, uh, in the coming months and coming weeks. Uh, But the main reason, uh, at that point, it was not really a ballsy decision for me because to be honest, the decision was more out of fear of not being able to reach my potential and not being able to accomplish something substantial and like i said i always had support from my family i have very supportive friends as well like who pushed me to go for it and uh, i had a couple of mentors at my previous workplace who pushed me to do it as well and like who even though like they were skeptical because again like anyone would be skeptical like even when you tell someone that you're quitting the job to like make money online it's not some <laughs> something everyone understands and even despite that like people supported me and um, I had a year and one other thing was like I had never experienced failure so a part of me truly craved failure because I wanted to like test myself and like my man <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> And see how I actually like did in face of adversity, um, because I was scared that if I like don't experience any failure right now, like at some point in the future, I will eventually face some kind of failure. Life will kick me in my face, and I won't be prepared at that point because like I've done everything easily all my life, so I wanted to get out my comfort zone badly, and. Take this step. So, yeah, like I said, it 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 might seem ballsy at the face. Uh, a lot of my friends like uh, praise me for taking such a ballsy step. Uh, a lot of people are out by it, but to be honest, it was more out of fear.
0: Hmm. One thing I can tell you is that the ways in which we are weak don't go away we can add weaknesses, but we can never totally remove the channels down which, if we fail, we go. Um, And I'm speaking from my own personal experience, you know, I, I made a decision a long time ago to be something more than I was, and I hit a lot of obstacles along the way, and sometimes they were more than I was ready to overcome. And every time I hit one of those obstacles, I would travel backwards down the same channels as I always did, because when you break, you know, you break at the weakest point, And if you continually break it, it's just permanently your weak point. And so this is just more for you. It's just like, look, man, those are always going to be your weak points. Whether it's, you know, whatever your weak points are, those are going to be your weak points. And you're going to have to learn to defend against them and bolster against them and to leverage your strengths in defending you against being overcome by your weaknesses. And then I guess the second part is that there's a very common misconception that a ballsy move is made by fearless people if you're so you're a psychopath, you don't feel fear about stuff, you know, then you don't feel anything because everybody feels fear and it's making the decision that you think is right. Even when you're afraid that that defines courage in a certain sense. And in, and I know a lot of people in my own life and I know a lot of stories from people that are not necessarily in my own life, but it's one of those tropes in society that somebody gets the cushy job and they fucking hate it and they stay in it forever And it destroys their soul and they fall apart and then they end up being an an embittered, corrupt, twisted person because they stayed inside of the thing that broke them. And, you know, you kind of recognize that, which is really remarkable at a young age, you know, you're just out of university really. And you're just like, man, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm in, a, I'm in a life panic right now. I'm having a midlife crisis right now because I can't do this. I've already seen it. And, and you know, maybe that's a testament to your intelligence or maybe that's a testament to your sensitivity, but whatever it was you saw it and you said, ah, ah, I don't have the money to buy a, I don't, have, I don't have the money to buy a sports car right now. I just got to quit my job. And then he, and he went out and decided to do a passion project. And I think part of the ability for you to do that is your youth. You know, what if you, what if you were in a position where you had a, uh, you know, a home and you had, you had, you know, whatever belongings or you had a family, if that's something you wanted. or you had these things that all these responsibilities and all these debts and all these things that would force you into really considering that decision a lot more carefully. And you're just like, look, I, I got nobody counting on me. I got no big, onerous, usurious, giant loans or anything. I, I have the world in front of me and I want to see if I can make it. I want, to, I want to step out of my comfort zone, like you said. I want to step away from this sort of pampered life, and I just want to get out there. I've heard people talk about being badass. I've heard people talk about being a baller and being a hustler. Could I be badass? Could I be a baller? Could I be a hustler? Well, let's find yeah. out, man. Let's go find out and see if I can make this on my own, and I like that. I like that. And that's why I worked with you is because I like that. I think it's cool, man. And that's why I wanted you to share that with people. It's like I want people to hear, especially young people, Older people, too, but it's harder. If you got a family or you got a mortgage, you got whatever, it's like, be very careful with those things. But when you're young, it's like, look, man, if you're 22, you think your parents aren't going to invite you back in the house if you need to, especially if you said, look, mom and dad, uh, I'm really trying to make something of myself and I'm going to devote all my time to this and I really, I just need this opportunity to really go for this and I can't do it any other way than with your help. Nine out of 10 parents would say, all right, you know, especially if they had the means to do it. And and furthermore, if you don't have all those things hanging on your back, and you got nobody that you're responsible to, it's like, go for your dream. And you actually did that. And you've been doing things and implementing steps and reaching out to all kinds of people, trying to find people who you could extract some wisdom from and integrate it and then be something more than you were before you did that. And I love that. And that's what this podcast is all about. And that's what I'm all about is helping people do that. And if I don't have the skills, I like to connect people to other people. And just, you know, I just started this thing called The Gauntlet. And I'm really excited about this because I'm bringing people together. Yeah. What do you want, man? You, you want exercise and business and, uh, and uh, you know, therapy? Okay, I got you. you but you're going to be challenged and it's going to be all at once and it's going to overwhelm your ass. But, you know, so... so. I guess what I'm saying with all of that is number 1 I just respect the decision that you made in it and I'm enthusiastic about it because I've gotten to know you and I feel I feel invested in your success because um you know then I can claim I've had a hand in it. <laughs> but number 2 man I think it's I think if anything if anything that's the number one thing I appreciate about this modern world and the fact that you've been exposed to it there in India and people are being exposed to it all across Asia and all across Africa and everywhere. It's like, look, <laughs> 10 years ago, this opportunity wouldn't have been on your plate. If you'd have been born 10 years earlier, you'd have, you'd have yes. sat in that job for 10 more years. True. And then you might have looked out um. and said, well, I want to do this, but now I've got all these responsibilities. I don't know, man. Yes. And so I, th- I think – Given all that and given that we're kind of closing in on, you know, by the time we wrap this up, we'll probably be 90 minutes. So I think it's a good time to to start curtailing the conversation. So here's what I want to know from you. You know, we've talked about the culture and we've talked about how, or maybe the lack of culture that sort of sprung up and, and the sort of cutting the ties with tradition and becoming a more globalized society and how you've sort of evolved inside of that environment. And then here you are, you made this jump and you're taking some of the best parts of that globalization and making them work for you. Mm -hmm. A lot of young people listen to this podcast. People of all ages listen, but it's, it's a majority of young people and it's a majority of young men. And let's say that one of those young men was sitting in front of you they said, man, you know, Kunal, I really liked listening to you on Chance's podcast. And I think you had some cool things to say and I was very um, impressed by the way that you were able to field these rambling questions that chance asked you and to put them together in a orderly fashion and to return to the subject at hand and make sense out of it. Yeah. And I really like that you made that jump and I want to make that jump, but I don't know where to turn. I just awoke to the fact that this is a possibility for me. And I want to know Kunal, since you're already on the road, since you've already found the sources and and, and you're making it work. If I, Wanted to make a similar leap into online business, and what are the one or two things I need to know that would give me the most bang for my buck in terms of time and knowledge right now that I could start doing and would set me up for success? And if that person was sitting in front of you, whoever it is inside of your head that you see, what would you tell that person? Those one or two things that would give them the most chance of success in this
1: trajectory. Uh, So the first thing I'd say in terms of mindset, one thing one belief that's helped me take a lot of world decisions and like go for it is no matter what, you'll be okay. Like worst comes to worst, like you will have to move back in with your parents for a few months. And like that's the worst case scenario and the best case scenario is too good. And so that's something that I always tell to myself before trying to like going for something big or like trying to get out of my comfort zone like no matter what no matter what you'll always be okay like you're not going to die like so there's nothing bad that can come out of it like and if you experience failure like it will like teach you something like like which nothing else will teach you in your life and second in terms like investing your time uh i'd say like Invest. That's something that's of personal interest to me. Like invest a lot of time in like studying human behavior and like uh, and find a complementary skill that goes along with it. For me, uh, it was copywriting to start with because uh, uh, it could be something else for you. But like focus on studying human behavior. Like, and uh, study sales. Study persuasion. Like, because it's it's one. It's Definitely interesting and I'll be honest like uh, when I first got into this whole thing I think it came from a place of insecurity and where I like wanted to manipulate people and stuff like that. um, That was like a few years back and like after that I've had some transformational experiences like which changed me as a person and like and And now I have a natural curiosity to learn more about the human mind, human behavior, and the universe. And and so, like, spend your time, whatever time you have, whatever time you can take out to learn more about the human mind or the human behavior. And use your knowledge morally, like, try to make the world a better place using what you learn.
0: Hmm. That's it. Sort of your first point is sort of, what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. In a lot of situations, the worst that could happen is you hate your life for 60 years. Yes. So, you know, like, even if you, even if the stakes were I will either have moderate to unimaginable success or I die, mm-hmm. you, the upside is still, at least I tried to live you know, at least I tried to embrace my life and really make something of it. It's like that line from Braveheart. Uh, every man dies, not every man truly lives. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's at the root, a lot of what you did, you know, you, you sort of fiddled with the dark side and you said, that kind of makes me sick and that's not who I want to be. I want to add to the world, not steal from the world. And, yeah. and that's a, That's an important transition. And that's, to be honest, that's that's also part of the transition out of childhood and adolescence and into adulthood. I like to tell people, every baby is a psychopath. They don't, they don't care about you at all. And and they shouldn't. Because in order for them to care about you, they have to be outside of the survival yeah. situation. And they can't be. They rely on you for food and for rest and for clothes and for everything. There's just this little blob that you have to provide for and the trippy thing happens in your mind. You're like this little blob is the entire universe wrapped up into a little blob and I love it. <laughs> and so you care for it. And then, and then these people turn into people, but they come out of that place of just absolute utter selfishness. And then there are two and there are three and you say, they can't have a string cheese and they come up and hit you in the face and you go, no, you can't hit <laughs> And luckily there are two, there are three. So they hit you in the face. And you kind of have to hide your laughter behind your hand because you don't want them to see it because it, you know <laughs> it's funny but if, if that if maturing process doesn't occur and then they're a 30 year old person who had a chip on their shoulder and wanted to prove everybody that they were the baddest dude in town and they got big giant and just beating people up and murdering people and then and stealing and well you know and you're gonna have to go to prison or you're gonna have to get zapped in the chair and but everybody kind of goes through that you know you, you hurt some yeah. people or you through your selfishness, and then you're forced to be like, okay, what am I going to do about that? Am I going to admit to it and sort of like embrace responsibility and become the person I know I can be? Or am I going to hide from it and sort of, you know, go to the dark side? Yeah. And for me personally, man, I'm just glad that you chose what you chose and, and that you, it's, it's fun for me to see people like you on this journey because I, I'm sort of on a similar thing, but, you know, I started when I was 32 Mm-hmm. I real sense. I, you know, I did a lot of work and things to yeah. make me the person that I am, but I only joined the internet in any meaningful sense, social sense, at least last year. Mm-hmm. And when I see people like you, or I talked to a young man named Tiger last night, and he's 19, yeah. and he's already, he's already doing his thing, you know, it's like, man,
1: <laughs> this <laughs> is
0: so cool. And yeah. if I wasn't who I was, if I hadn't been beaten down by my own hubris and bad decisions so many times... I might be jealous, but instead I just love to support people like you because it's like, man, they're going to avoid these 15 years of mistakes I made. This is so cool. I'm so happy for these people. (laughs) And I guess, man, on top of that, the second thing that you said, the second thing that you said is important too, because a lot of people, they don't even understand themselves. And it's hard to look at yourself. You know, it's that responsibility thing it's tough to take responsibility for some of the worst parts of you and it's all too easy to claim responsibility for the best parts of you and to only sort of focus on those but if you study other people and you gain that understanding of humanity in general it eventually comes back to i'm studying other people to oh i've been studying myself all along and it all kind of ties in you go well i'm just like them and if i know Mm -hmm. the tools that can influence them guess what I got the tools that can influence me and I just need to brainwash myself. as yes. I'm <laughs> <Yes. laughs> And so I think those two points you brought up are very important. And I think that's a great like bit for people to, to sort of have stuck in their head as they leave. So on that note, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? And if they want to hire you to, to do some stuff for their business, whether it's, you know, sort of direct marketing or copy or whatever it is. Uh, where can they contact you? And is there anybody you'd like to say hello to? Promote yourself, man. Boost yourself. Boost yourself, and uh, and say hello to anybody if you want to, too. But let let the people know, you know.
1: Uh, so uh, thankfully, I have a very unique name. So if you look me up, and on any of the platforms, uh, my name should pop up. It's KUNL space D H A R E M S I kunal and um, my twitter handles k-u-n and then six times a then L, because none of the other handles were available uh so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, hit me up for like any kind of discussion i'm up to discuss new ideas bounce off what you have in mind and just shoot the shit and, and uh, Otherwise, like if you want to email me, like reach out to me at K U N L B H A R A M S I at Gmail.com. I'm looking forward to hear from you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, buddy. Is there anything is there anything you feel like we missed or that has come to mind that you'd like to offer as parting words or anything like that?
1: Well, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Nothing off the top of my head right now.
0: And uh, you know you're not the first person to say this, in fact, far from it, but Um, Are you surprised that you had 90 minutes of conversation in you? Uh,
1: Yeah, surely. I'm like, I've not even realized it's been 90 minutes.
0: You know what it is? Um, It's a combination of two things, I think, that enables this kind of thing to happen. Number one is that everybody has lived years and years of life that comes on this podcast. You have a story. Everybody has a story. And everybody has a valuable story, just maybe not everybody's ready to tell it. And then the other thing is that I'm a deeply fascinated person and when I Have you here in front of me. I want to ask you as many questions as I can. And, um, it, it ends up, it ends up being pretty neat for me to be able to pick people's brains for, for, you know, so many times in a week. And, and I just want to thank you on that note for taking the time to come here and talk with me and to share your thoughts with me and the audience. And, um, it's been a real pleasure and it's, it's nice to, it's nice to reconnect with you after a couple of weeks and everything. And, um, You know, I guess on that note, if you're good, Kunal, I'm good. Thank you,
1: Pat. It wasn't on us. to be here.
0: No, buddy. All right, folks. On that note, this has been the Logo Centrifugal Podcast. I've been Chance Lunsford. He's been Kunal Daramsi. This has all been Allegedly. And remember, if you don't want a trip, then go take a trip. We're out.
1: We here at the Logo Centrifugal
0: Podcast work hard to bring you the highest quality audio, the best editing, and the most professionalism of any podcast on the market. Either that or we do the exact opposite. Either way, consider supporting the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can support the podcast by supporting the podcast. There's a link somewhere, and I encourage you to click the link to support the podcast professionally. Thank you.